You know, we're in this um, season of, um, you know, Kairos. Uh, we, we looked in, you know, throughout the whole of this month, we're going to be, we, we've been looking at this word, and Pastor Andy shared on week one about knowing the time, and, you know, he looked about kind of looking around in the natural, didn't he, and how if we can see it in the natural, we understand the situation going on right now, and it's funny because there's so much happening, you know, even right now since then, like, actually, let's just pray, actually, right now for um, the situation that's happened in, in, in Turkey and Syria, because that is devastating. And I think we need to pray and believe God for a miracle in that situation, because actually, Pastor Ann even mentioned about um, knowing the natural signs through earthquakes, hurricanes, all these things. But actually, since that very moment, that's been a, 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 an incredibly horrific situation that's happened. So why don't you just raise your hands? Let's just believe God for a miracle in that area. Father, we just want to lift up our brothers and our sisters and all of those that are lost right now in, in the country, Father, where there's been an earthquake over the last couple of weeks, Lord. Father, we declare, Lord, you would make people's lives whole in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the brokenness, Lord. You would be the peace that they need, the comfort that they need. Lord, where there's parents that don't know where their children are, May you restore peace to their hearts right now, Lord. May you bring to safety that that's lost. And for children that feel like they that, that know they've lost their parents, Father, we pray peace in their young hearts. That, Lord, you would restore peace. That you would give them comfort that's out of this world. And that, Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, you would have a move of salvation upon that place. That, Lord, people will come to know you because of the goodness of people that are stepping out by faith to meet the needs of the situation, Lord. We declare in Jesus' name, amen. And so Pastor Andy on week one shared about that knowing the time. Um, and then Pastor Shu last week, um, me and Paula were away. Me and Paula last week, we was at a, a funeral. Um, Paula's dad passed away back in November, and we was at a funeral last week. And, um, you know, 104 years old, Paula's dad was. Isn't that incredible? And um, I'll tell you a funny story, actually, about this funeral, because um, it was incredible. And it's, um, you know... For, for a white person who does funerals here, we're, we're quite quick with funerals, like we just kind of get on with it. Whereas in Ghana, they're not so quick and they really celebrate the life, which I think is really good. But I was on the front row of this high table and I know there's like Ghanaians, Nigerians are probably smiling, thinking, yeah, they've experienced it. You've not experienced it as a white person, trust me. It was, um, it was funny, it was ridiculous. So I was at the, I was at the front of this um, top table and uh, it, was, it was beautiful, the big celebration, people coming in from all different kinds of societies, and there was like the Ghanaian uh, Nurses Association come in, but they don't just come in, they dance as they enter the room. And I'm looking around, I'm sitting, I don't know, I don't speak trees, well, I'm there just trying to interpret, Holy Spirit, please tell me what's going on. Um, and I'm looking down the aisle at my brother-in-law, who's just like brilliant, and I'm like, Michael, what's going on now? And he's like, don't worry, he doesn't understand tree anyway, so I don't know why I was asking him. But... I think he understood a bit more than me. And then next thing, there's this moment. You lot would laugh at this. Everyone stood up in my family. I'm like, where are we going? Michael's going, we've got to dance. And I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> we've got to dance in front of everyone. And this thing. Well, you can imagine what I look like up there. But I just got on with it. And it kept happening. We'd sit back down at the table. And I'd be like, oh, I've got through that bit. And then Michael's getting up again. Where are we going now? We've got to dance. Oh, no, we've got to dance again. And it just, it was hilarious. It was brilliant. And, uh, but what an incredible life we celebrated. 104 years old and you know we took time to remember like the things that my father-in-law must have seen you know he, he was born towards the end of world war one I. I mean that's amazing isn't it and, and he and he and he's lived this incredible life and so it was right that we celebrated in such a way but um you would have laughed at me being there 
But I did my best. I really did. And it was great. And we, yeah, we got a, a great time. But like, so we weren't here last week, but I know what an incredible um, service I heard. And the numbers and the amount of people coming here was brilliant. And Pastor Shu shared about knowing our position and our purpose. Um, you know, sp- speaking about our position as being set apart. And that's who we are. You know, we are set apart people, aren't we? Um, as we come to know Christ and have a relationship with him, we become sanctified, not by our own works, but by him. By believing on him, we become set apart people, holy because of his work, not our work. And then our purpose is to be filled. You know, and, that, and that's our purpose every day, is to be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, I want to, anyone else just love being filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I love it. My life was radically changed because of an encounter with the Holy Spirit in this very room, you know. I, I was destined for death, destined for exit, done, no more. And then comes the Holy Spirit. Then comes God and brings breakthrough into a situation that I thought was impossible, but he makes all things possible, Amen. And today, so I want to carry on about this knowing our, um, you know, this Kairos moment, this, this, this such a time as this is what we're speaking about. And I want to continue on this thought of knowing our purpose. In the midst of a Kairos situation, knowing, um, knowing our response, sorry, knowing our response. And you'll remember I told my Man United story last time, didn't I? About, I spoke about response and I gave that whole, anyone remember that? And Richard didn't appreciate it because he's a Liverpool fan, but uh, we won't talk about that. Anyway, so, and I, to- I spoke about how we should respond to God. Um, and actually, I want to talk about this in a little bit detail, but looking at a character in the Bible in just a minute. But being responsive, like I said last time, it's one of the family values. You know, if you look at our values we went through, one of them is that we're a responsive people. And being responsive to God and the moment we are in, it's all about being able to react correctly to what God is asking us to do. You know, God is always on the move. He's always asking us, like, to, to move in a situation, to do something. And being responsive is about being able to re- react to that. You know, unresponsive is, you know, a little bit apathy, a little bit like what Paula was saying. It's funny that this is, the fact is, we should be responsive. And throughout the Bible, we see many individuals that were able to respond in a chorus moment. Just a couple that I love, like Joseph, for instance, was, you know, often we read Joseph in the Bible as a story, but it was a life that was lived. And every word that you read is like years in someone's life where they were stuck in a situation which looked horrific. You know, they were sold as a child into slavery. I can't even imagine what that must feel or, or be like. And I'm sure none of us can. You know, that must be horrific to be sold into slavery as a young boy. And then he was left from his father. He had this horrific kind of situation and circumstance that was his life. But you know what? He stayed faithful to God. He never looked at the circumstance. I'm sure he must have had days where he looked and thought, this is a joke. You know, this is a joke. Like, what is this? But he stayed faithful to God. He continued pressing into God. And what happened in Joseph's life, he went through slavery and there were still situations. He then became um, a servant in Potiphar's house and all this stuff started breaking out. And then there was this moment, such a time as this, this Kairos moment where he stood up and was able to interpret dreams. You know, this isn't him. This is God. And what happens? He was elevated to a place of ruler, over the ho- pretty much second in charge, other than Pharaoh, over the whole of Egypt. Only God can do such a thing. Come on. This is a young lad that pretty much was a slave, and now he's, for such a time as this, he was able to respond in a moment by interpreting a dream, to stand up and say, here I am, and then God moved. Come on, this is awesome. 
Gideon's another one that I love. You know, a young boy living in fear, hiding away, yet God saw something different in him and called him in such a time as this to say, I want you to, he called him a mighty warrior. And I, I get the picture, Gideon went, Mick, you're having a laugh, aren't you? You know, because you get that picture when you read it because he was like, he didn't see himself as that. Who? Who are you talking about? Yet he stood up in such a time as this. And what happened? He des- destroyed the armies of the enemy. Not by his strength, but by his trust in God. Because if you read the battles, they're ridiculous. It's not like he went in, like, armoured up. Went in with candles and trumpets. You know that's God, because you're like, you're having a laugh, God. Not only are you saying I'm something, like, at least give me a big sword. No, 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 you're going to have a trumpet and a a candle. And break the candles and dance around. It's like, God's miraculous. But our response has to be to him and not to what we feel or think. Our response has to be about what God is saying, not what we're saying. Because nine times out of ten, what I'm saying might not exactly be what God's saying, because I might be living in a place of, oh, I'm not sure I can do that, but yet God says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? And then my favorite of all is David. David's response throughout, you know, he had moments where he responded with a silly situation and and did things wrong but there's a moment when he was a shepherd boy and I love this response where he's tending the sheep of his father's house minding his own business and he's sent to the battlefield to to feed his brothers and stuff and there's this moment that he encounters this giant and you can see like I picture him skipping along (laughs) giving his brothers food and then he's thinking who is this guy that is like coming against my God yet the whole army of Israel is terrified And yet this little shepherd boy, by faith, is like, nah, I'm taking him on. He steps up in such a time as this and defeats the enemy. Isn't this incredible? This isn't someone, he actually even says to Saul, King Saul, I don't even want your armor. It's weighing me down. And he steps onto the battlefield and he declares by faith, you come at me. And then he declares this beautiful declaration. And he comes at Goliath and Goliath comes crashing down. Isn't that incredible? that he was able to respond against an enemy at such a time as this without backing away but running to it. There'll be sometimes situations where we'll need to have faith. And our response to a circumstance, like when someone says, cancer's all over your body. Because that's very real in this world. But like David, we need to look at it like a Goliath and say, you dare come at me with that. You defy the armies of Israel and then you come at it by faith, Amen. This is what David did, and I love it. And there's loads of characters throughout the Bible that we could look at where these people responded in such a time as this. But one in particular that I want to look at that is a little bit different to those, I suppose. It's not as like, wow, smash, or, or you know, war, or something like that. And that's Nehemiah. Everyone, anyone familiar with the story of Nehemiah? I'm sure many of you would have read the book in the Old Testament. And it's one I want to take a closer look at today because I feel there's a lot we can actually learn when it comes to knowing our response. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for a king, King Artaxerxes, um, a Persian king. He lived during the Persian rule at the time of the people returning to Jerusalem after the exile. So basically, about 500 years BC, he was living at the moment when all the people of um, the exile of Babylon were returning. And he asked um, for how it was going, basically. How is it going in Judah, in Jerusalem? And he got this response back in Nehemiah 1, 3, and 4. We see, uh, we'll read it. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, this is Nehemiah speaking, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, things ain't looking good. You know, the exile being returned is brilliant. Hey, we're free, we're free. But sometimes brokenness is still around us. The walls aren't repaired. We look in a disgrace. You can imagine they're being, feeling quite embarrassed. Yeah, we've returned, but it's like we're naked almost, like we're, we've got nothing, being returned to complete poverty. And so Nehemiah's heart broke, and he fasted and prayed before God. His response is brilliant. In Nehemiah 2, 4 to 5, we read this. So this is in the second chapter uh, of, of Nehemiah. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Isn't that amazing? That in both texts, what's he do first? He puts God first in both of them. His first response is that his heart is broken and he weeps and prays to God. Even in his response to the king, he first prays to God. See, God must be number one in our life. He must have the, the first part of who we are. He also takes responsibility for the situation. He sees the problem as his problem. How easy is it not to do that? Not my problem. The world does that, doesn't it? Not my problem. My kingdom come, my will be done. As it is here in my house, so let it be. You know, it's, it's all me, 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 isn't it, with, with the world? But he takes responsibility for the situation. He sees the problem as his own, even though he has a comfortable life. Let's be real, he's the be cupbearer of a king. Yes, he's serving the king, but you've got to understand he was a man of influence, a man of blessing. He probably had people under him, servants. He was a, he probably a wealthy guy. He didn't have to let this affect him. He could have stayed comfortably and turned his back. Do you know what he did? He decided to step down from his royal position and enter into a city that was broken and a city that was in disgrace and a city that was in trouble, and he decided he would lay out his vision to rebuild it. Come on, when I think about this, who, do, who else did that for us? Did the king of kings who stepped down from heaven and saw brokenness on the world and decided he would take off his royal crown and become like a man and die for us? Come on, anyone thankful for that? I'm so thankful for that. My king didn't turn his back. Amen? See, this is knowing your response or knowing how to respond. Nehemiah had an ability to respond in a situation that meant it wasn't putting himself first, but the needs of others. And so I've got a few, uh, three points that I want to share. And actually today, I want us, at the end of this, I really just want us to go into a time of just seeking God. Everyone good with that? And the first, the first point I've got is that we're called to serve. Mark 10 verse 45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life, life a ransom for many. You know, that's the Son of God, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Isn't that incredible? That you'd think the King of not just the world, but the whole universe, the King of Kings would come. It would be to be served. But yet he lays his life down, a ransom for many. See, this is the life that we've been called to, to serve. I, found, I find so much more peace in serving others than gaining for myself. I love it. I love being able to serve. I love being here at seven o'clock in the morning. And I love it. I, I absolutely love coming and serving alongside my brothers and sisters. It's a joy. 
And I know, like, the, the young people that are on board, it's brilliant, right? Young people, yeah, come on, Rio, you're there, Ben, yeah, Elliot. Who else have we got here? So, yeah, them guys. They're here every morning serving, and I love it. And I love serving alongside them, because why we're called to serve. We're lining up with our purpose when we're doing that. Romans 12, 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our true and proper worship isn't to serve ourselves, but to serve the kingdom of God and watch God do everything else, amen? Matthew 6, 33 says that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else shall be added unto you. The world's way is so different to that. It's seek everything for myself. And if I've got a little bit left over, I might flick a bit to someone. But God says, no, 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 lay your life down. Seek my purpose, seek my kingdom, and watch what I do with your life. I could not, and I say it all the time, you're probably going to get bored of me over the years, imagine what God did with my life. Like, I wish I could just take you on the journey of where I was. I was, a, I was just a mess. Yet God, in all his wonder, took a broken vessel and made it whole. Isn't God just so incredible that when the world says, eh, useless, he doesn't bring us anything, God says, no, 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 that's my chosen vessel. That's my chosen vessel. Don't you dare despise him. And just like King David was despised at the moment when Samuel was pushed in the back, God loves the broken people because why? They come with humility, humbleness, and knowing they cannot do it by themselves. Come on, if we think we've got it all together... We haven't. <laughs> we really haven't. We're called, we're called to live a life of sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 is another one that I love. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I love that. We were bought at a price. That means the life I live now, if I'm not living for God, that's cool. Then of course I'll just do what I want to do. But if I'm going to say I'm living for God... The Bible says that you no longer live for self, that you don't even belong to yourself. I mean, like, what? Hold on a minute. I don't even belong to myself. No, no, but there's a joy in that. Because watch what he can do with your life over your control. He can do much better than when you're making the decisions and trying to control. He can do abundantly far above what you can even dare to think of. What you're seeing, God's seeing much more. Come on, let, let's be in the hands of the one that made us rather than thinking that we can make it ourselves. Amen. We're not called for self-gratification. We are called to live for the one who gave his life for us. And that should be our life, you know, living to serve his purposes. I remember being an intern 10, 11 years ago now, um, and, it, and, and, and it was, I'll be honest with you, the first couple of weeks I was like, oh no, what have I signed up for here? You know, like it was literally giving your life away to serve the church, to serve family church. But I found joy in it, in the midst of it, I remember cleaning the toilets. And this is a weird story. You're thinking, what? What's the up? I was cleaning the toilets because that was one of the duties. And I just remember being in there going, God, this is for you. Every like, thing that I'm doing is for you. And I had this revelation that realized that no matter what I'm doing, I'm doing it unto God. Whether that's cleaning the toilets, whether that's, you know, whatever it might be, I'm doing everything unto God. And we must have that heart that our, our lives are a sacrifice to him. So no matter what we're doing, it's unto him, amen? Not here to be seen or, 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 or to have man go, well done, well done. We're here to serve the purposes of God. We're called to serve, amen? So that's the first point that I want to say that we're called to serve. Then we're going to move on to the story of Nehemiah. And I'm just going to draw a few points from it as well as I do this. So the story of Nehemiah, again, it's a fascinating story. 
Because as most of you know, in 52 days, the city walls were rebuilt, the gates were rebuilt, and the doors were hung. Um, and again, like when you say walls and gates, I don't know what your picture is in your mind, but our picture is a lovely cottage with a little wall, and it's like a lovely little gate. Oh, a picket fence gate. Oh, that's beautiful. This is not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a massive, massive wall that's probably 2,000 meters by 1,000 meters. It's probably 10 to 12 meters tall and two and a half meters thick. This thing's huge. 52 days is miraculous. It is miraculous. It's unbelievable. Um, and, and, you know, even the gates, when you look at them, they're, not, they're huge. They're massive, great gates that allow, like, kind of hordes of people to come in and out of. They're not just a normal little gate. What we're reading is God at work here. Miraculous. And what I love is that when Nehemiah was not, what Nehemiah was not on his own, Nehemiah had an army of God's people who stepped forward to say, yes, I'm here to help. When you read it, Nehemiah 3 is brilliant. It gives descriptions of so many people that jumped on board with this duty to serve the purposes of God. See, the people's, Nehemiah's response was, yeah, I'm here. But he also had a response from a whole heap of people that were saying, we're here too. And they weren't just a standard set of people. We're going to look at a few of the characters. They're all kinds of different people. Nehemiah 3.1 says this, Eliashab, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as for the Tower of Hananel. The high priests, you know, the high priest was the highest order of priests, the one that was the duty of, you know, doing the things in the most holies. This guy was now builder, bricklayer, cement all over him. Like, he was now like, what's going on? What happened? He was on board with serving the purposes of God. He responded in a situation to say, yeah, I know what my normal duties are, but for such a time as this, I'm needed. And he brought what he brought. And they were able to do what they were able to do. So the high priests were there. This wasn't for a set builders. They didn't go to the yellow pages and ring like Israel's greatest builders and think, right, get them in, do a job, give us a quote. And do it. No, they jumped on board. They didn't look outside. They looked within themselves and said, here we are, ready to serve the purposes of our king. Amen? Nehemiah 3.8 is another one. It says, Uziel, the son of Hareah, one of the goldsmiths repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Goldsmiths, perfume makers, you know, you're going into all kinds of trades now. This isn't just your, you, there's all kinds of people that are getting involved, men and women, that are saying, yeah, we're here. I'm not going to allow things to stop me from serving the purposes of God. I'm here. Let's go. I love it. And then Nehemiah 3.12, we read of another bunch of people. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem. Like, this guy had no reason to be doing this. He was a ruler of a half. No, like this guy was like, a, like some kind of high up guy. Yet what did he do? For such a time as this, he responded by saying, here I am. And they repaired the next section. Listen to this, with the help of his daughters. Isn't that incredible? The help of his daughters. So not only is it for the, every generation, but it isn't just set men that should be doing it. There was women, there was girls all jumping on board and saying, here we are, I'm coming to serve the purposes of God. This is responding, amen? This is responding. So often we limit ourselves. We say, no, 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 I'm boxed in here because this is what I say about myself. Yet, no, no, God's saying you can do all things. You can put your hands to works and see him bring it forth, Amen. We sometimes limit ourselves because what the world says. Who cares what the world says? Worry what God says. 
Nehemiah 3.13, these guys are like the true heroes here. Listen to this. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zano. They rebuilt and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the Dungate. These guys were on it. I don't know what they were taking, but they were absolutely on it. They were like, that's a lot. A thousand cubits is like 450 meters, I think. They were like, we're having this, like we're doing this, get off. Sons of Zanor, is that who they were? Residents of Zanor, we're taking it. And they were on it, 450 meters. Like, I mean, that's a good bricklayer, that is. Who's able to do that? And bear in mind, we're all saying 52 days. These guys were on it. And if you read Nehemiah 3, I've just picked a few that I, that I love. There's so many characters within there that all did their part. The different gates were rebuilt by different people, different family members, different It wasn't just one set. And Nehemiah's initial response ordered this response to happen, and, and the people rose up to do it. And so the second point I have is this. We all bring something. We all bring something. Amen? Listen, Romans 12, 6 to 8 says this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Isn't that amazing that every one of us brings something? Every one of us brings something to the house of God. We've all been given a gift of some kind, and we have to make sure we're using it for the purposes of the kingdom. You know, I love it because sometimes we may look at like we've got nothing, but your kind word could change a life. It could raise someone up who's having a really down day. Just saying something kind to someone I don't know, anyone here, when you're feeling down and someone said, come kind, how it's just lifted you a little bit? Isn't that good? Yeah, come on, there's people out there. But what happens if I held that in and thought, oh, I ain't giving that today? But I'm not, I'm not responding properly to what God's asking me to do because maybe today I'm just meant to give that word and that's what God's asking of me to allow. And I remember, I remember, um, I remember there was this guy in the streets that I met once and I just felt like God again I was walking through, as you do, walk through town and you, you get disrupted by God. And I remember there was this homeless guy and I just felt like God wanted me to give him a word. I could have responded by saying, nah, can't bothered. But every, you know, in your heart, it's like, no, no, I need to. And I remember going up to him and saying, I just simply had this word that your past does not dictate your future. And I remember his eyes, you know, when someone just lifts a little bit. And I'm like, maybe that was medicine to his very, very soul that day, you know could have given him money, but the words meant something to him, and it lifted him. And I think we've got to realize that words are powerful. That word of encouragement is powerful. You know, gift of encouragement, just to come alongside people and encourage people. I know in my times when I felt down, those people have been the biggest blessing in my life, telling me, keep going, you'll be all right. You know, I love it. And we should all be looking to do something like that, whatever it is we have to give. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 to 20 is another really um, good verse to read when it comes to this. And it's about the body of Christ. It says this, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For when we were baptized by the one spirit, so it's one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of the one part, but of many. And this is true, right? We're made up of many parts, yet we're one body. We are the body of Christ, yet we are made up of very many members. 
But listen, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, which would be really weird, right? Imagine that, big eye walked into church. Uh, I'd be out, I'm not going to lie, that would be it for me. If the whole body uh, were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And I love that, because the church is the body of Christ. And sometimes in life, we can look at our situation and think, well, I'm not called to anything. Do you know some of the most vital organs in your body are the ones you don't see? Your heart. Come on, that would be weird if, you know, our hearts, you can't see our heart, but without that, we ain't living. If my heart decided, no, I want to be a foot, I've got a problem. In the form of probably a heart attack of some kind, do you know what I mean? Because the reality is, if my heart stopped being a heart, I don't get to live in this world. And that's the same when we look at the body of Christ. You know, you may not be doing something that is on the outside where everyone seems, but it's vital that you do what you're doing because it makes the body function. But if we withhold and stop doing what we're doing, then the body doesn't function and then we become a dysfunctional body. And who knows, dysfunction doesn't work, right? We live in a dysfunctional society because of selfishness. The church, the house of God, should not be dysfunctional, but very functional to the point where people come in from a dysfunctional world and experience something they've never experienced. Order, a people that love one another, a people that lay their lives down for one another. Come on, isn't that the place that you walked into and your heart was changed? It was for me. And so we need to take this stand. I believe we're on the brink of something, church, and I believe we're on the brink of something massive where we're going to see a harvest of people coming into this house. And God is saying, get ready. Be ready for what's next. Every member being its part because it's going to be needed for the harvest that's about to come. Society is changing as we know it. Things are changing as we know it. God's house needs to be alive and working, amen? It needs to be functioning as it should. Amen? <coughs> sorry, I lost where I was. Oh, over here, yeah, sorry. So the church is the body of Christ. As I say, the bodies are made up of lots of parts, um, and every part has to do its bit, and we have to. We have to make sure that we're doing that. And then the third part that I'm going to look at in Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6, and this bit is the bit that I want to finish on because I think it's really important. And this might be the thing that touches your heart today and go, ah, yeah, that's the place where I sit. Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6, we see Nehemiah and the people having to deal with this distraction, oppression, and attack. And there's a constant calling upon their life. There's a constant annoyance. In one moment, it says that the builders were building with instruments of work and instruments of warfare. There was swords in one hand to defend and, you know, kind of doing a bit of cementing on the other hand. I mean, this is ridiculous. Why? Because there was an attack on the outside coming at them. There was a distraction. Listen to what Nehemiah's response is to those that were trying to distract him in Nehemiah 6, 2 to 3. Sambala and Gisham sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Onu. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. What cannot go down? Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And this is what I want to say. 
the world, this is point three, the world will always call you. Always. It has a loud voice and it's distracting and it is often tempting with certain things. Come on, anyone here been tempted by certain things? You don't have to put your hand up, but I'm sure we're all in that boat, right? The world is very loud and it's often louder than God. God's quiet and gentle and leads you beside still waters. The world is like, come and get it now. It'll make you good. Come and get it. Come on, come on, come on. You, You do it and you're like, oh, life's falling apart. Because that's the world. It's shouting at you to come and do what the world is doing. But it leads to death. It leads to destruction. It leads to chaos often. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, um, sorry, 2 Timothy 2, 4 and 5 says this. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. We've not been called to serve the world. We've not been called to serve its purposes and act like the world and be like the world. We've been called to serve God, which means that if I'm in the army of God, I need to serve the one that is in charge, amen, which is the kingdom of heaven, which is God, ruler of it all. Which means my life has to be submitted to him and not allow the distractions of the world, the temptations of the world to pull me in a way, which sometimes they're great. Come, come and do this, it's great. Distraction, distraction. Come and watch this, come and look at this, come and do this, come and listen to this. And it's this constant pull where it's pulling us away from the things of God. But we're called to serve him in the midst of a very perverse and dark world. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, do not, this is really important, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And to be yoked means joined together. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be around people, like lock yourself in a room, Pastor Sean said, I've got to sit in here, can't go out. No, 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 that's weird, don't do that. Please don't say, oh, I said that. If you're hearing that, that ain't me. What I'm saying is, you don't be yoked with people. What does it mean to be yoked with someone? It means that you join with them, become like them. Oh, yeah, what are we up to? Oh, we're going to do a bit of this. Going to go out and have a, oh, yeah, a few drinks, bit of this, bit of all. And it leads to more and more debauchery and brokenness and hurt in your own life. As you, the more and more you do it. Because the Bible says, what, can, what fellowship can light have with darkness? It can't have fellowship because it can't be the same as them, because light often comes in and breaks the darkness, amen? The Bible says that his light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So we've been called to be a light in this world. And so this means we'll sometimes need to be where darkness is, but not to join in, but to shine our light. You know, have you ever been around people and, and they just like, for some reason they just don't like being around you? It's because your light is shining on their darkness and they don't want their darkness exposed. And you're not doing anything. You're just there being a joy. Often, I think, you know, most of us, I hope. Um, You know, being a light, being caring. And often some people in the world don't like that because actually it reveals things in their life that they don't like. But we're called not to join in to become darkness, but to be light in the darkness so that the people of the darkness become light. Amen. This is what we're called to do. Matthew 5, 13 to 16 says this. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Not you could be, you will be. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Come on, church, we're about to shine our lights like never before. I believe this. I believe there's something in society that's so dark that when you step into it, your light's going to expose everything, and it's going to be miraculous. It's not judgmental light. It's loving light. It's light that says, it's okay, let me lift you up. It's okay, you're forgiven. It's okay. doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. God's love is for you and not against you. Come on, God. The enemy wants to make it feel like the world is in a place of judgment. But God has judged Jesus for their sake. And now they stand in a place where if they receive him as their Lord and Savior, they're completely set free. And we're there, beacons of light in this dark world, just to be representatives, amen? But what happens if this light in me never goes out? Doesn't, I'm not going to go around them. Well, we're like that what Jesus said about a light that puts a bowl over its head. We're not actually doing what we're meant to be doing. We're meant to allow our light to be seen, amen? We're meant to go out and allow the light to be seen, not to become darkness. If you've done that, take a step back and hold on and think, hold on a minute, I've made a mistake here. You're meant to infect and affect the darkness, to cause it to turn and come towards the light, amen? Come on, I want to see miracles, church. I want to see people in the streets when I'm walking down the road say, there's something about you. Can you tell me about it? And I say, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, died for you and, and wants relationship with you. Come on, this is the life that I want to live when I'm in the shops and, and, and when I'm in the kind of roads or wherever I am. I want my heart to be ready just to pour out the light onto others. Amen? See, we've not actually been called... You know, like Nehemiah, to build a massive wall around Portsmouth, although they are doing sea defences, we're not called for that. We ain't called to go and build a huge wall to stop people getting into the city. But we have been called for such a time as this to allow our love and light to affect everyone in our world. To cause this city to become a city known as a place of God. A city that everyone around the country says something happened in that place. Do you know in America right now, there is revival breaking out in universities. I don't know if you've ever seen, if you've seen this. Go home and look at it. I'm telling you, revival is breaking out. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people flocking to universities for no reason. And they've been in worship sessions for six days straight. These guys are just, something is happening, church. Something, we're on the brink of God breaking out. And I want to be so ready that I'm not going, oh, what happened? But I'm like, no, God, I'm already responding. My heart's already saying, yes, discipleship. Come on, we need people on discipleship. We need people coming alongside Ezra and Yan who are saying, I'm ready to disciple the new people that are coming in. I'm ready to be a host at the front door. I'm ready to be someone on hospitality that's able to serve people tea and coffee. These are really, really important. And every one of us can do it. Every one of us can make the body function better because we say, here I am. I'm ready. Come on, are you excited about the next season? I know I am. I really am. And it might just be me, but I'm just ready for, to see what God wants to do. So in order for us to have a great harvest, to have strength in all teams, we have to have a heart that says, I'm ready. And you know what? I just want to thank every single... We've got an army already here of people. And I just want to thank every single one of you, the kids' teams that serve diligently, the AV. At the back, these guys, like, have a turn around and look. These guys diligently sit there every week, making the lights function, diligently turn out. We thank you. Thank you. Come on, let's put our hands together for those guys there. For Ben, for Fergie, for Ty, for all those guys. For the hosting team. 
who turn out every week to serve people coming. I love it. For, for Ruth, uh, you know, at the front every week, just happily lifting this thing, bless her, up, up on the stage. We have an army of people, but come on, there's more. There's more. And there's every team, you know, the tea and coffee with Linda, who's diligently serving. I love it. We have an army of people that say, yeah, come on, I'm here. But listen, what about if God wants more of us on team, ready to serve this next purpose? Because you imagine... This church doubled over the next couple of years because of what God was doing. I'm just believing for miraculous. We need more people on team ready to say, here I am, God, use me. And I love this because Isaiah said the same thing. On Isaiah, uh, prophet Isaiah, when he was called to be a prophet, this is what he said in Isaiah 6, 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And this is his response. And I said, here I am, send me. Come on, let that be our hearts this morning, church. Here I am, send me. Whatever it may be, whatever it is that you want me to do, let's put ourselves in the hands of God to watch him do miraculous things. Can I have the band? Is it all right if the band come up? Come on, I want to position our hearts in a place where we're ready to serve the purposes of God like never before. But you know what? I just believe that God wants to do something else. I believe that God will never ask you to do anything in your own strength. And he'll never ask you to do anything where it's about you doing it. You know, you know, I've got to make it happen. But God wants to fill you, like Pastor Shu said, by his spirit. And I want us today to go out worshipping and just to have an encounter with God. Simply say, Jesus, I'm here, send me. And let him just highlight something on your own heart where you know, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to serve in this area. I'm going to put myself on this team. You know, the kids team, where's Debbie? I'm sure you can go and speak to Debbie and Debbie would love absolutely love it if you were able to come alongside her and help on the kids team you know for the hosting team there is many of us that could help serve on the hosting team the hospitality team and all the other teams the setup teams and the av teams there's so many teams the security team um, which wayne is doing diligently today and it's like we've got so many people so many teams that every one of us could be part of and you this is our this is your house Come on, in your house, say, here I am, God, send me, use me. Let our response be, I'm ready to go. But I believe God wants to first fill you afresh, amen? To give you something where you say, this is, God, I'm just overflowing with your goodness. I'm overflowing with your goodness in my life today. I know when I've been in those positions, that's when I'm like, yeah, God, come on, I'll do anything. Not in a place of weakness where I'm like, oh, I'm feel half dead, I feel there's no strength. No, no, when you're filled with his spirit and empowered, then that's a place where you say, God, come on, now I want to go. I want to run for your kingdom. You're filling me. I want to now pour out. Fill me and pour out. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet, church. Do you know what? Maybe the very first response that you may need to make today it's not to anything that I've said here or, you know, respond to what God maybe is already putting on your own heart. Don't let it be something I'm telling you to do. Maybe God's highlighting something in your own heart where you say, yeah, God, I want to be a part of this or I want to start doing this. But actually, maybe the very first response you need to make is to say, Jesus, yeah, I, I trust you and I put my faith in you as Lord and Saviour. The Bible says that when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. You shall be saved. And that word saved is not is a funny word, but it actually means to be delivered, to be set free, to be made whole. 
Come on, it happened to me when I walked in this room. I made a simple faith statement of saying, God, I believe in you, and I was made whole. Addictions broke off my life instantly, made whole. Drugs left, alcohol left. God made me whole. Depression lifted off. Anxiety, fear lifted off in the name of Jesus. Why? Because I was saved, set free and delivered. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, yeah, I need some of that. I need him. Well, you need Jesus. So before we move on to the song, let's just close our eyes and I want to pray a simple prayer and then I'm going to ask any of you that need to to respond come on church let's just close our eyes Father I just thank you so much for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me and for us today Lord we position our hearts to believe in you and to make you Lord and Saviour we turn away from our old ways and our own wicked selfish ways and we say Lord May you be king. May you reside within me. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Make us whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you've prayed that for the first time, simply one act is just to raise your hand before God. There's one hand there. Is there anyone else that needs to put their hand up this morning? I believe there is. Is there any other hands that you need to say, God, I need you? Come on, is there anyone else here today? There's another hand at the back. Praise God. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every hand raised right now. Holy Spirit, may you take away the old and bring in the new. Father, I thank you that you restore that that's been stolen. You make whole in the name of Jesus. We speak life in all its fullness, Father, and we declare freedom in Jesus' name, victory in Jesus' name. Father, I see right now cloud lifting off of people. I see brokenness being rebuilt. I see walls being made whole, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that right now where there is a troubled mind, you make it whole. Where there is depression, you lift it off and bring joy in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. In your presence is fullness of joy. Holy Spirit, we ask right now you come and flood the room. Come and flood the room, Lord. Come and fill the room, Lord. Jesus. Father, I thank you right now, sickness to leave bodies. Where there's voices that you don't know where those voices are coming from. Father, in the name of Jesus, we command it to leave right now. And every voice that's not of you, Lord, we command it to stop and flee. Holy Spirit, flood every area, flood every room. From the back to the front, Father, in the name of Jesus, may everyone be saturated and soaked in your presence.